all of Jesus for all the world is our theme for missions conference and our theme in general and it will be more than that even as we think about the importance of that in our message today at this time children may be dismissed to children's church I know we don't have all the little things we're blowing and uh, woo, you know but uh, you guys it's still exciting want to just encourage you to really lean into <clears throat> missions conference in the sense of leaning into missions and to be praying now how does God want to take us and you to that next level in a way we involve ourselves whether it be through praying or giving or sending or even going in all those ways if you would uh, turn to <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20 In Revelation chapter 20, we're going to start reading where we left off when we were last together with dealing with the end times. And that would be right at verse 10. It's kind of where we left off and then we'll start in where we were, where we have yet to go. <clears throat> in Revelation 20. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets have been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled away from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which in the, is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will be live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral those who practice magic arts idolaters and all liars their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death <clears throat> let's pray together lord as we come to your word we want to open up our lives so that you would speak into it that you'd use this There may be many things that are of need and we want to lay those all down at your feet that we would not be distracted 
not just distracted by things that we shouldn't be, but even distracted by things that just are upon us. Lord, I think of those who are unable to be with us, even a number who are sick, even those who have uh, just out of care have, have recognized uh, some sickness coming on them and, and just wanting to stay at home right now and are watching, hopefully watching online. That each of us would just be able to focus to hear your voice. And while I ask that you'd help me to speak your words, I know that what you can speak to each of us goes beyond anything I will say today. Help us to hear your voice and to respond to you. Move in us in a way that only you can. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we are coming down towards the end of our End Times 101 study because we are at the end, so to speak. But in many ways, we're also at the beginning. I just read in Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. Even in verse 5, he was seated on the throne and says, I'm making everything new. So there is coming a time where God will make all things new, but to bring the new heaven and the new earth along, first you've got to get rid of the old. We don't necessarily think this. We're ready to talk about the whole new world that's going to happen, but do we realize before that whole new world can happen, we've got to get rid of the old, uh, just as it talks about there in chapter 21, verse 1. Here's the truth for us to consider. It's not just there. It's in verse 11 of chapter 20. Here's the truth for us to consider about the end times and its implications today. And that is that the end comes before the beginning. It's not just really about the end times, but there's a lot of things within God's kingdom that this phrase could be thought through. The end comes before the beginning sometimes. And for us to see that even in this that we're talking about here. You see, before the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth, there needs to come an end to this old earth, the destruction of the earth. Uh, As said earlier in uh, verse 11 in chapter 20, I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. As we think through that, obviously earth and sky, some versions say earth and heavens. It's not the heaven, but heavens like the sky, the uh, stars, everything about it. Everything that we see and, and not just everything associated physically or mat- the matter of this earth, but those things that are associated with the momentum of this earth, the energy, the time. How do we relate time? Time is related to as it it goes around the sun and our rotation and all that. That's all going to stop. It's not just says here, but we read it in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Destruction of this earth by fire. But it's not just the old earth that has to go before the new comes. 
It is those who are in their old ways of sin and away from the Savior that also are going to go. It is part of the end that needs to happen before the beginning of eternity. It is that what we read about in verses 12 to 15 of Revelation 20 here. We're really going to focus most of our conversation this day. Uh, most of what we're looking at is in those verses. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. To focus in on this ending judgment. And to think through, before we get to the new heaven, new earth, are we ready Yes, we're all ready for that new beginning. We're ready. Heaven, new heaven, new earth. Woohoo! Woo, yeah! You know, this is where you need to pull out those things from last week and, you know, uh, uh, blow them. Yeah, we're ready for that. But before, you, or before we're ready for that new to come, we also have to ask ourselves are we ready for the old to go? You know, first off, are you ready for the final judgment to be given? There may be those here who would think, you know what? Oh, Pastor, haven't we already covered the judgment? Uh, we covered a judgment. We covered different judgments in the end times. There's not just one. There are many different judgments, but this is the one, the final one that we're talking about today that reaches through the end time progression where we're at right now, the end that happens before the beginning which we call the great white throne judgment. You get that from verse 11 in chapter 20 there as it talks about what this is, the name. So are we ready for the final judgment to be given out prior to the final end? That judgment to be given out. Uh, notice in chapter 20, verse 14, uh, as it talks about that, but also in 21, verse 8, which we read at the very end there talks about but the cowardly unbelieving vile murderers sexually immoral those who practice magic arts idolaters their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death verse 14 talked about this second death the second death is what is experienced by those who do not get to the first resurrection that first resurrection that happens through Christ that brings us into life eternal because we are all dead in our sins but we are made alive in Christ Jesus, and not just in that and made alive in Christ Jesus, but we know that those who are in Christ Jesus are raised from the dead to live forever with him, are given new immortal, uh, uh, new glorified bodies that we have, that even as the millennium that we just talked about, and, and you can look back on, on YouTube or Facebook, the millennium, the thousand-year reign, those who came into that thousand-year reign on this earth with Jesus are those only who were believers, those some of whom had died previously, but it came to life in their new and glorified bodies, their, that first resurrection that takes place, and they joined Jesus through the millennium. But there were those who were not in that millennium, and those are the ones who are going to experience and experience the second death. Those who were not believers. In fact, uh, I know it, it seems confusing when we think about the resurrection of the uh, of believers, but Acts 24 talks about the resurrection not just of the righteous, but of the unrighteous. 
There's a resurrection of both. And right here, where we're at, right here, the great white throne judgment is where that resurrection of the unrighteous takes place. In fact, it seems unlikely that there are going to be followers of Christ at this judgment because, in a sense, they've already been judged before this. They've already been judged, not just in the sheep-goat judgment, but they've already been judged in the Bema seat judgment of Christ. That is, the Christians that judgment that faces each of us. Again, I encourage you to go back and to look over this stuff. I'm not going to get back into that. But there is that judgment that Christians have already been through, even for those who might be born in the millennium and come to know Christ and follow Christ, born in the millennium, they eventually will die. When they come back, where they are resurrected, so to speak, it makes sense that they too, in their meeting and coming, and it says that we will go, those who know Christ, immediately go to be with Christ and to be with Christ, you know, that whole glorified body, the whole everything else that is given and going through the judgment of as Christians standing before Jesus. But at the great white throne judgment, it seems to be just of unbelievers. Revelation 20, verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, the rest of the dead, the rest of the dead come to life right there. They No, they don't. It says the rest of the dead come to life after the thousand years. There's a resurrection. They come back to life. But it's the rest of the dead who do not know Christ that after the thousand years come back. And they come back to this as a death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. Every unrepentant sinner over all of time who has not turned to the Savior will stand before this final judgment that's going to be given. How are they ready? It is these people who have been waiting for the final judgment, the end before they can begin what they do not want to begin. The final judgment and the reality is that, even as we talk about the great white throne judgment here, the reality is that this, the the initial part, if you will, of a court hearing, so to speak, that takes place, that's already happened. All these people who are raised up and now standing before the great white throne judgment have already been declared guilty. They've already been declared guilty at this point in time But the great white throne judgment is the final sentencing, if you will. This is the final sentencing. They've been waiting in lockup before judgment is given here. And they're sent off to a forever prison in hell. In this moment at the great white throne judgment, there will be no presenting your case. There will be no defense, no appeals. The evidence is already clear. The guilty verdict has already been made. For the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We live on once our bodies die. The only question for each of us is where we will live. Where eternally, where will we be ready? Heaven or hell? Hebrews 9 27 tells us just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment after we die there's no second chance there's no i uh what about this what about this after we die we face judgment and that final judgment is this great white throne judgment 
I believe it's entirely possible that at this final judgment is given that it will be all too clear that everyone who stands before Jesus will be fully aware of their guilt and what they deserve because they are there before Jesus, the holy, perfect one. How can you not be aware? Despite current self-deception of one's own goodness, standing in the presence of God, it will be complaint painfully clear to those who have not surrendered to the Savior that he'll be overwhelmed with the truth of what they've rejected and perhaps even more overwhelmed with the fact that there is no chance left because in that moment, in that moment they come face to face with what they have put off their whole life. In that moment, As Philippians 2 tells us, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be so clear. The only defense that we have before the judgment throne, before this judgment throne ever comes, is that we throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus as our defense and our defender. Admit it, not just our sin and our wrong, but that we are sinners. It is in our nature. Not just that we need forgiveness, but that we need a Savior. Because in that moment, we need to do this before it's too late. We need to do this on earth to turn to Jesus, to accept His blood that was shed on the cross to justify us, to pay the penalty for our punishment. So who, those who are followers of Christ, do not have to worry about the great white throne judgment. Because in a sense, the judgment of Christians has already taken place. It's already taken place of those who follow Christ because Jesus took it on the cross. That punishment already took place. And we trust Jesus and we trust his words when he says to us then things like this in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about what takes place. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the promises to us. Nonetheless, right now, there are many who, if they would admit sin, if they would admit they're missing the mark, not living the way Jesus has told us, they would say their sin really isn't that bad for this kind of judgment to be given. They would say they're basically good people. In fact, most people are are good people, despite the fact that the Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one, despite the fact that it is all have sinned, all have fallen short. But we like to think that we're pretty good. So let's talk about what a pretty good person would be. Just at a minimum, let's just think through this for a moment. We've talked about it before, but let's bring it back. Those who may not have heard of this, think about a minimum 
if only three times a day we said something we shouldn't say or we do something that we shouldn't do, if only three times a day we neglect to do something that we should have done, we neglect to say what we should have said, if only three times a day we have a thought that we shouldn't have, and understand, when we're talking about a thought that we shouldn't have, when we're talking about sin and what God does not want of our lives, that includes things like worry, right? It includes things that maybe we don't really think about what that might be, like grumbling. All of those things go against what his word asks, both of those things. So based on the Bible's definition of sin, as we think through that, if we've only messed up three times a day and the rest of the day we were just amazing, perfect, you'd be a pretty good person. It's still imperfect, but you'd be a pretty good person if if just three times a day. I wonder how many of us even would come close to that. How many of us here would be saying like, yeah, I can handle that. Only three times a day would I miss the mark. (laughs) Not me. But how many of us, you know, but let's say, you know, that's a really good person. Okay, I'm a good person. I really don't deserve to be judged and, you know, all this stuff that we're talking about. But let's think through that. Three sins a day over 365 days in a year. That's over a thousand sins. And and let's just imagine that when we get to that great white throne judgment, it happened after uh, we were 75. Let's just pick a, a, a younger date, right? You know, the older I get, the younger 75 looks. Uh, let's just pick, you know, a, a younger day. So 75, and let's not even count the first five years, right? Uh, you know, how those first five years go, toddlers and all that kind of stuff. So 70 years. Now, it was 1,000 sins a day. So over 70 years, we're standing there at the great white throne judgment. And as we stand before God, there has been 70,000 times then we have sinned. 70,000 times we have broken his law. 70,000 times we have gone against God and what he wants for our life. Hello? Even here on earth, the earthly judge, if we stood before him, would he think as you come before him and you stand that that you have broken the law 70,000 times, but he would say, well, you're basically a good person and you shouldn't be punished. You know, you shouldn't, there should be no consequences. No, he'd be thinking about, I'm locking this person up and throwing away the key. 70,000 times you've broken the law? There's going to be an eternal judgment by a, perfectly he- by a perfect heavenly judge that's going to come down to what's going to be given at that great white throne judgment. Are you ready for that? Because ultimately sin is against God. Even David, when he did some horrible things and, and, and sinned towards people, he says of it in Psalm 51, against you and only you have I sinned and done, speaking to God, and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. If we go back to Revelation in chapter 20 and verse 12, 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open in the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. God knows everything that we've ever done and said or not done and said, everything, every thought. He's not going to be just judging on feelings. He's not just some, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling really angry today. So, no, it's facts that he's recorded, keeping track. I suppose some could quickly read this and think, well, the final judgment verdict is based on what we've done and my good outweighs the bad, which kind of misses the point because what God expects is perfection. In fact, James says if you break the law in one, you've broken it all. God's passing grade is 100%. And ultimately, what it is saying in these verses is that heaven and hell is not so much determined by what you've done. Heaven and hell is determined by whether your name is written in the book of life. In Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know for certain, before you get there, that your name is written in the book of life? Not, not wishful thinking, not a, I, I hope so, or even I'm pretty sure. But you know 100% sure. I know people try to tell you that, well, you can't really know that. And yet Jesus says things like in John six forty seven, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Now, when we're talking about this, we know as we read in the rest of the, uh, of the Bible and even in Jesus' words that believe does not just mean that you believe in your head. It's not just about your head, what you think. Or, yeah, I believe God exists. I believe Jesus, you know, came and he died on a cross and all that. It, it, that's not, even the demons believe that stuff. It's not about the facts. It's about the faith. It's about fully trusting in Jesus the Jesus who said as well in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we read this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know this. Do you know? That you're ready. We can't have an assurance. We can be ready. And in fact not even have to go. To that great white throne judgment. Perhaps for you. You think you are. But not sure. Or there's something that just keeps nagging at you. About it. Of whether. Have you really gone beyond just a religious head knowledge. About this. Have you gone beyond just trying to be a good person? Don't let those questions nag at you. Talk with someone. Talk, come talk to myself and the elders. And there's a number of other people here in the church. Let's sit down and just 
settle this, that you know for certain that you are ready when final judgment is going to be given. But it's not just that, to be ready after the judgment is given, then we need to be ready for when the final judgment to be received. In a sense, the sentencing has taken place. The case is closed. Heaven is closed. Hell is opened up in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and verses 14 and 15 there, as it's talking about uh, the death in Hades in verse 14 of chapter 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We see earlier in Revelation chapter 19 where we covered it that this lake of fire was mentioned. That's where the beast and the false prophet were thrown into. And even at the very uh, first part of what we read this morning in verse 10, it talks about the devil after that thousand-year reign and everything that took place, the devil was thrown into that lake of fire of burning with brimstone. In fact, this lake of fire, this is the place Jesus says in Matthew 25. This is what he will say to those on his left. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This lake of fire, the devil and his angels, this is where he said he sent him to the lake of fire right here in Revelation 20, verse 10. Hell is a place for the devil for sure. And there are those who would say that it's just for the devil. That people aren't going to hell. Everyone's going to heaven. Which is kind of like what the devil said back in the garden. Oh, God didn't really say that, did he? Certainly you're not going to die. Go ahead and do this. It will be just fine. It's not. God doesn't teach universalism. That every load leads to heaven. And that somehow Jesus is all, all for that. The Jesus who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, no one. If Jesus is really for everyone and that there's lots of different ways, then why did he have to die a horrible death as an innocent man on a cross if there were many ways? Because there's only one way. There was no other way to satisfy God's justice and at the same time be loving. So it's not just Satan and his angels that are going to be there. We see that death and Hades in verse 14 are thrown into the lake of fire and that those who were in it came out for judgment and that death and Hades are going to be cast in to the lake of fire, to hell. Uh, here's where for some people we get uh, confused because you think about it. There are a number of different words that are used in the original language in our Bibles for what oftentimes is translated into one English word, hell, a general concept of hell. But many of these words are much more specific than that. Even an example, we think of Sheol and Hades of Hebrew and Greek. Uh, these places that are not the final place of punishment and conscious torment, hell, the lake of fire. They're not, we can say they're not the lake of fire, the final 
final, final judgment because they are thrown into the lake of fire. If they already were, then they would be that. They, you don't get thrown into this lake of fire. This is where the final place of punishment and conscious torment takes place. This is what death in Hades seems to be a place for those who have died and unrepentant have rejected Christ and they wait for their sentencing. We believe that those who die who are in Christ automatically go to be with Jesus. We read that in 2 Corinthians 5. That the death of the body, that to be away from the body for a Christian is to be at home with the Lord. We don't go to some place. There's no death or Hades. There's none of that. Not waiting anywhere as Christians, but there are those who are waiting this final judgment. They will not just be, it's not just about physical, it's about spiritual death. It's not just about a death that somehow, as some people like to think of it, where you just cease to exist. There's nothing more annihilating. No, we all live on. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, where we just are reading right here. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels, but who else is going to be there? Jesus says to people, to those on his left, depart from me into this eternal fire that was prepared for the devil. In what we read in verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. In chapter 22, verse 15, outside, speaking of outside of, of the kingdom, outside and where this will be. Of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That's just a sampling. Of, it's not just those. It's those whose names are not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire or hell. There are those that would like to think that God, God might judge, but it's not going to get that serious. I mean... God might get a little upset, but really, he's not going to, he's just not the kind of bring the hammer down kind of guy, right? And yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, don't fear the one who has, who can kill the body. Fear the one who has the power to kill the body and to send your soul to hell. Cast you there. Even though some would say, you know, I, I don't believe in hell. Of course, not believing in something doesn't make it automatically cease to exist. I don't believe God would actually follow through with something like that. I still don't believe that God's kind of judgment and anything like that. How about the worldwide flood that destroyed everyone except for Noah and seven other people as judgment upon the wickedness on this earth? 
How about the fiery judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah? How about so many other places, even as we talk about leading up to this, of the, the judgment and the tribulation and from the tribulation where Jesus comes down in Revelation chapter 19. And, and he comes down uh, not only as it talk about the beast and the, and the false prophet being thrown into the fire lake, but in verse 21 of Revelation 19, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, which is Jesus. All the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. We can choose to think only part, but we've got to think of all of who Jesus is, not just the lamb, he is the lion. And all these things before, all these things that have had are just preparing us for the reality of the final judgment that he says is going to take place. If anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 20, verse 15. And we think about this final judgment. It says anyone. It should not take us by surprise. God's talked about it in many places, including... Here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 7 through 9. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In a sense, even those who were given judgment at the great white throne, even for them... It's not really the end. It is the beginning of a whole new world for unbelievers that they do not want. The beginning for those who have chosen not to follow Jesus. Not to heaven, but hell. Despite the way some people talk today, hell is used rather casually. In our day, including the way people talk about here on earth and what things are like. That doesn't really even come close to eternal torment. A horrible, painful torment. And yet, we, we can joke about it. We can even uh, agree with people like, uh, like Ben and say driving through Cranberry Fall parking lot is kind of like that. You know, driving through the parking lot. Don't worry, none of those holes actually lead there. You know, but, but it's not a joking matter. For those receiving this judgment, there's, they will be aware of the judgment in this lake of fire, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Yes, even physically. We know that those who are in Christ are given new glorified bodies. But those who do not know Christ, when the judgment comes, it seems that there is still some physical form in which they may experience an eternal torment. Probably not a, a new or a glorified body. I really don't know and fully understand all this. But when we look at things like John 5 and chapter, and chapter 5 and 28 and 29, do not be amazed. Their time is coming. Those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done 
what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Or in Daniel 12, it talks much about this, including the multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And even to read, and, and while we need to be careful on how much we make a primer of heaven and hell, of the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, still there is a point that Jesus is making that this rich man seems to in hell feel the torment. Even still, as we talk about hell, we must, we should be careful of how we picture what it is like because there has been much that has been read into the Bible. There has been much that is, uh, whether it's from people or preachers, but there's even more that's been influenced less by the Bible and more by movies or, or, or books or pictures that we've seen. You know, hell, this volcanic wasteland with red suits and pitchforks and a place where you get, uh, you know, where Satan is in charge of hell and the demons are there and they're just delighting because they get to torture and torment souls for all eternity. What's the reality of Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 say though? And the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil is not in charge of hell. Satan is not the one tormenting. He is the one being tormented. Unfortunately, we've got these misconceptions that are around that we've just kind of put in our head that we've heard from different places. Some of this stems way back from years, uh, even century ago, centuries ago to Dante's Inferno and a writing that then was made into paintings and other stuff, things that were not just about imagination but myths and not just about myths but there are many of those things in those times and where we are somehow getting our pictures of hell that are actually come from other religions and we're not recognizing it. Although obviously it does seem when we talk about hell that there is some kind of experience that deals with burning. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 says, Surely the day of, is coming. The day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble in the day that his coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. And I some question of whether this, this is physical and fire. How can there be the fire and yet people and yet they're not burned up? And, and, and then hell is also mentioned as being darkness. Well, how can there be darkness and yet there's fire? Because where there's fire, there's light. And we're all trying to figure this out based on our conception of this earth and the way things are. Which, by the way, when this time comes that we're talking about here, heaven and earth are gone. But even still... We're trying to put it within our own parameters of how we see this world. This is not this world. Hell is nothing like whatever is happening here. And that nothing is impossible with God, that it can be dark and fire at the same time. And for us to recognize, in some ways, when we think about this place, this is talk of destruction, of wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and all the descriptors. For us to realize that whatever we think, whatever, even as we read the word, whatever it is, there's no way that we can fully imagine, and I'm, at, and, and I'm guessing there's no way that we can fully describe with our words 
Just like we can't fully describe with our words what heaven's going to be like, that we can fully describe with our words what hell is going to be like because it's not going to be anything like what we experience here, but so much worse. A place without experiencing the presence of God. Now, some people probably wouldn't care about that. I don't care whether I see God. But it's the benefit that comes with him. So it's not just all the fire and destruction and all that in hell, but it is the absence of those things. Absence of things that are good with the good God. It is missing out on anything close to joy, peace, or love. Do we recognize that? There's no joy, no peace, there will be love ever. There's so many questions, and we really, as, as we wrap this up here, to recognize that there's no time to answer every question of what hell and what, you know, I mean, some people are like, well, where is hell? Is it up? Is it down? Is it somewhere around? You know, we got all kinds of questions and speculations, and we can point to this and that. But you know what? I'm really hoping that there's none of us here that really want to know where it is. Think about it for a minute. Do you really want to know where? Why do you want to know where? you want to avoid it? Knowing where it is is not going to help you to avoid it. Knowing who is what's going to help you to avoid. It's who you know. And I know that there are some Christians that get excited to hear a preaching about hell. Oh, you know, in fact, I, I, I've met Christians that seem like they're more excited to hear about hell and the devil than they are about heaven and Jesus. You know, you can't preach hell without a yell. Right? You got to be fire and brimstone kind of way. Because the best way to get people into heaven is to scare them out of hell. Who cares if they really want heaven or Jesus? Please understand, hell is real. It is horrible and it should be talked about. But sometimes I wonder why Christians who are going to heaven want it preached so much when so few times do they actually invite any unbelievers to hear such things as most of our services are full of those who do already know Christ. But not everyone. What is it? Don't misunderstand. There should be a sense of intensity. But my first inclination and preaching on hell is not to preach with red-faced anger yelling at the top of my lungs. Because if we really understood hell as it is in the way even just even in part that I've described this morning, then anger should not be the first emotion that comes to our hearts and our minds. Rather, a deep sorrow, a great concern, even greater urgency. We know that Jesus has said to it, look unto the fields that are white unto harvest. But as we look over these verses today, there is coming a time where we will look unto those fields that were white unto harvest that are now burning. Burning. I think we miss the heart of God like in Ezekiel 33:11, where he states, he does not delight in the death of the wicked but he wants them to turn from their ways and live. Each one of them includes even those here today that need to hear this. He's not delighted in sending the people 
to hell. I know there are those that come with all kinds of sin. Well, God would never do that. And the next 10 minutes earlier, they were saying, well, why doesn't God deal with the evil? You know, God's too harsh. God's not harsh enough. All those kind of things. But when it comes down to it, the real truth is God doesn't send anyone to hell. It's our choice to send ourselves to hell, especially when there's a clear open doorway that the good God has provided away from all that judgment. Ask the worship team to come. The larger truth in all of this, as we look at, is that the end comes before the beginning. I mentioned that. Well, the end of our self-life needs to come before we can begin the new life in Christ. The end of our self and how we're leaving and how we're in control to turn away from sin, to turn away from ourself and what we want and turn to Jesus God does it on, on a whim. Say, oh, I'm just going to send people to hell. He's given all of us a freedom to choose, to reject or accept Jesus. To take Jesus' punishment that he did on that cross in our place or to decide that we'll just wait and pay it ourselves. We are not helpless victims in all of this that we're talking about. We have a responsibility. We are fully responsible to make a choice before God that he's given to us. A good God. A God that even when we're here on this earth will lead us through the fire and, 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 and light up the darkness in our life that's going on. But he's also the God who will lead us from the fire and the darkness of hell into his marvelous light. We just need to choose the door. That is Jesus to a whole new world of eternal life. Instead of choosing our own way that leads that might seem right, but our own way that leads to destruction. Lord, help us recognize that all of this that we've talked about is, is not bad. While it is sad, it is not somehow vindictive. It is out of your goodness. It is who you are, both loving and just. And in that, you provided a door, a way out. loves us and wants us to turn to you and live. Help us as we think about even we mentioned the missions and all of Jesus for all the world to recognize our need to share with people. People across the sea, people across the street, people even within our own families. that assurance to not have to face that great white throne judgment but those who just need to turn it around to be the end of self end of their own way of doing things and to begin the new life with you a new way help them to turn even now as we sing